pray. Father, we, as we come before you as we're in your presence, O oh Lord God. Lord, the word that we're about to preach, Lord God, is for your people and for myself, O oh Lord. And Lord, as we partake in it, Lord God, that we, according to James, O oh Lord God, that we not only be hearers of that word, but become doers of that word. So Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is mingling with us right now, Lord God. He has a purpose for each one of us, Lord. And Lord, our desire is to submit to him and allow that to happen. So Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> well, the title of the, today's message is, Are We Abusing God's Grace? Paul, in his letter to the Romans, states Romans in 5.20, he says, Moreover, the law entered the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. Grace is a gift from God in that we do not deserve and cannot earn. It's an expression of God's love and mercy towards each one of us, even when we are undeserving. Grace is crucial in parts of God's character, and it is the reason for all his actions, including our salvation. The biblical definition of grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is also described as the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Jude warns us in his uh, letter that it is possible to change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And Jude 4 says, for certain persons have creeped in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this certain condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The attitude that has developed and has come about is why be good if you know you will be forgiven. It's an attitude that pervades even today's culture that I can do whatever I please, I can go hurt people and get away with it. There is no consequence for my actions. You know, sin can be without doubt appealing. Sin can be appealing. Paul recognized this in his Romans 6, verses 11 through 12. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. We often use grace as an excuse to do the opposite of God's expectations. In Romans 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we, who died to sin, still live in it? As believers, we are dead to sin but alive to God. Sadly, the church in America appears to be more interested in fitting in into the world's system that, than, rather than converting the world. 
the church is failing to live up to the godly potential and to take hold of all the spiritual blessings available to her through Christ Jesus. The modern church in America has become a melting pot of worldliness and godliness that is neither pleasing to the Lord nor to the world. But the one who is relishing in all of this is Satan himself. He's having a heyday. The idea that Christians are to live separate and apart from the world, even though we live in the world, has been put aside today. We claim that we are following God, but are we really? We need to be honest and admit that most Christians in America really don't want to be like our God. They want to maintain the identity, the lifestyle that they had prior to their questionable conversion. We appreciate God's holiness as long as we don't have to be too holy. I'll limit myself. God wants me to be holy, but I'm going to just be a little bit holy. That's my attitude. And we love him to his, for his love. We love God for his love. As long as we don't have to live that love out among our enemies and those who use us and abuse us. Oh, I have God's love. But don't ask me to forgive him or her. Don't ask me to go into the wolf's den and preach the word of love. We, we welcome God's laws as long as we can bend them, and we've bent them a lot, to fit our preconceived ideas, our notions of what they should be for me. For me, not for you, you have your own. You have your own set of bending and twisting of God's word and how they benefit me, myself, and I. It's always me, myself, and I. We say that God buries the old man and gives us a new nature. And that's true. But we continue to engage in resurrecting the old man. We, he's buried. We go out there with a shovel and dig him up. We resurrect him. And most of the time, daily. We resurrect him with our old sins and even create new ones. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24 says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. For many who call themselves Christians, <clears throat> They suppose a new man looks and acts like the old man. Nothing has changed. And it's true. The world, the community, is not affected by our existence. We should be affecting them. We should tell them of the good news. But some of us have pocketed that good news and have sat on it for a long time. We've not taken the time to look in the mirror. When's the last time you looked in the mirror? Spiritually. I know you all did that this morning, combing your hair, whatever is necessary to look good. We do that. 
But it says in the word, James 1, 23-24, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at it himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You know, that's, that's true. How many times do we look in the mirror, say you're getting ready for work or getting ready for church, you go in, you take a look at the mirror, ah, this needs this, this is that. You walk away from the mirror, you do a little other things, have breakfast or whatever, and what's the next thing you do? You go back to the mirror. You've got to look again. You've got to make sure that everything is okay. Well, God says his word is in the mirror for us. We need to know where we stand with God. And we do that by looking in the mirror of his word and not forget. Because we can soon forget, like the, the natural man, what is it that needs to be taken care of. God shows us in his word what needs to be taken care of in our lives. But we leave it there with the hairbrush and the comb in the washcloth. We live life according to a wonderful and marvelous me. Look at me. I am marvelous. I am wonderful. There is a false and perverted spirit that is disguising itself as grace. This fraudulent grace has captured the hearts of many Christians. It instructs them that no matter how they choose to live and act, they need to be like the world. You need to be conformed to the world, not conformed to God's law. That's old-fashioned. You need to be conformed to the world, it says. It instructs them. <clears throat> no problem, it says. It's okay. This false grace really helps you out because everyone else is doing it. I have reason to do what I do. Everybody else is doing it. Besides that, there's no penalty. There's no consequence that I have to pay for what I do. Go ahead and live the life to the fullness. This perverted grace always turns a blind eye to their sinful, willful, wicked ways. And if you were to look closely, you will see that grace, that perverted grace is smiling at you. It's okay. There is no seriousness or consequences for our actions. We see that daily. We see that in the news. We see what's happening. Everything is fine. Everything is okay. It never corrects or disciplines, but rather winks an eye of approval over our rebellious and defiant ways. In Proverbs 10, verses 9 through 11, he who walks in integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. What's even sadder is that the church has also fallen victim to its, to the, its deceit by never preaching about or exposing sin for what it really is. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. Amen?
the grace of God. That is the grace that saves you. God never intended his amazing grace to be a license for sin, but rather the means whereby we overcome sin. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In Matthew 1 verses 21 he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, God who so lavishly poured out his grace upon us looks upon us only to see his people turn that grace into the very opposite of what he has intended it for. Rather than helping a means of liberty from sin, it has become instead a license for sin, a license to sin. Unconditional love never corrects, never rebukes or challenges us regarding our actions, but simple, simply loves us regardless of how we act and live. That's unconditional love. But the love of God in his grace has conditions. We must remember that God is a God of love, but he is a God of justice also. He is a just God. Listen for a moment to the response that Peter received in his response to the people on the, days of, on the day of Pentecost after listening to his message. The crowd was gathered out, and they, Peter began to preach. And in Acts 2, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, what Peter had preached, and how we had crucified our Lord, they were pierced by their, in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? The crowd cried out, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter did not shout back, Oh, nothing. You don't have to do anything. But rather, his response was in Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was a condition for God's grace. They needed to repent. They needed to be baptized, and they would receive. God's love cannot be separated from his justice or righteousness. We tend to separate the two. In fact, we sometimes forget that God is just, but he is. We know of his righteousness because his, Jesus has imputed his righteousness to us as we become one of his children. You know, Paul reminds us of the goodness and severity of God. We do not have to respond according to our fallen nature. We need to respond to that. In Romans 6, 6, it says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ, with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Romans 6, verse 22, it says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, 
You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification in the outcome eternal life. You know, as Christians, we do still struggle with our flesh and its sinful desires. That is why God has given us access to his throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The church is failing today because we are failing in the area of our lives to study and meditate upon God's word so that our minds may be transformed, that we would have the mind of Christ instead of a stinking thinking attitude of our fleshly nature. Our goal should be focused on doing God's will rather than our own. We are lacking in our prayers by creating a, a shopping list mentality of the things we want, not of the things that we need. Instead of having the desire in our hearts that the will of God be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Are we really praying that prayer? Whatever happened to obedience? Obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, John 14, verse 15, he says, if you, have, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love him, if you obey him, you will keep his commandments. If we have no desire in our hearts to be made into the image of the living Christ, can we honestly say that we are his? Our purpose and goal in life is to become like Jesus. That means a change in character, a change in our attitudes, a change in every aspect of our lives. But we expect God's <clears throat> grace to cover everything. Grace is such an abused and exploited topic in most churches today. We hang everything on grace to allow us to mess up and, and then say, God's grace covers me. A Christian under grace should be person of integrity, exhibiting personal responsibility. We need to own up. We need to stop making excuses for the things that we do that are not pleasing to God. Get rid of our license to do whatever we want to do, the license that causes us to exploit the grace of God. God's grace makes our spiritual growth and transformation possible. We need grace. We need God's grace, not the grace that says everything is okay. You know, when we are saved, Jesus' holiness and righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us. It's nothing that we deserve, but he gives it to us. It is his grace. On the other hand, we have an obligation to actively pursue holy living. That's what we're called for. One of his commandments was that we are to be holy as he is holy, separated just as he is separated. You know, we should think of God's grace as an opportunity for us to make our hearts right with God. I received grace this day. What should I do with it? I should have a change in my heart because of that grace. It's not an opportunity in receiving grace. It's not an opportunity to take advantage of it and live as crazy and on the edge as we can. We will make mistakes. 
Let's be honest. God knows that more than we do. Let us not abuse the grace he died for by doing our own thing. Let us start thinking, looking, and acting like Christians, but only by his grace and strength in us. It's something that we cannot do. It is by his grace, by his strength, and by his power that we can do what he desires for us to do. Don't take the Lord's grace for granted by continuing with the same attitudes, the desires, and carnal actions you first came to him with. He took you in just as you were, but he expects us to change and to become more like him. Instead, let the grace of God transform you bit by bit every day. There's a song that we sing, Amazing Grace. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Amen.